0: You can also tell your smart speakers to play Vision Kids Radio. If you don't already have the Vision app on your phone or tablet, you can download it for free when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Vision Kids, another way we're helping the whole family look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. As we put the plastic bag onto the floor in one of these orphanages. Boy comes running up sees what is inside, starts crying runs to his supervisor. Supervisor comes and have a look at it and she starts crying so I asked what is the story here and she said the boy has been invited to come to school camp but the school stipulated he must have a sleeping bag and here comes this crazy foreigner from Holland and just in that clear plastic bag happens to be a sleeping bag The Story G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome
1: to The Story. Today we have part two of Rudy and Jeanette Rapp's incredible story. As we heard last time, it looked like Jeanette was going to have to end up spending the rest of her life in a wheelchair due to severe rheumatoid arthritis. But then, God stepped in and miraculously healed her. Now, we're going to hear what happened next in their lives as they continue their chat with Eric Scatterbone. Welcome back to the program,
2: Rudy and Jeanette Rapp. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Glad to have you on the program once again. As we heard last time, it looked like Jeanette was going to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Mm. That's the diagnosis you had.
3: That was the reality of it, yeah.
2: Yeah. But suddenly the Lord healed you. Yes. And Rudy, you were kind of a uh, Pharisaical Christian. Yes. So you were kind of looking at God as he was, uh, he loved you if you did what was right, but he was angry at you if you did what was wrong.
0: My picture of God until that time was pretty much an angry judge. And as long as you did the, the, the right thing, then the angry judge would not be angry with you. So you tried to keep him happy. So my whole focus then changed, and I discovered that God is really much more a loving father. He's only a loving father. He's not an angry judge. And you wanted other people to know about that. Absolutely. So first, of course, you start to share with your friends. And mm-hmm. when something like this happens to you in your life, you very quickly discover some people will want to listen to you, and some people don't. So we also looked at our old theology base and we really couldn't fit into the denomination anymore we were actually told to be silent about the miracle we were not allowed to share it oh wow so that was quite drastic so Mm -hmm. we found a new church very close by uh, in the same you know region we found a church where there was room for this theology of a loving father to develop which was already developed in that church and we just started to volunteer. My first initial reaction was, "Ah, uh-huh, now I can go back to business. Jeanette can look after herself." But it became clear very quickly that God had a different plan for our life. Three months after my experience with the Holy Spirit, I signed up for a mission team to India and I spent five weeks in India. Now to backtrack a little bit, after we sold the business, before Jeanette was healed. Uh, when the diagnosis was there that, the, that Jeanette would go into a wheelchair, probably within a couple of years, I said to Jeanette, we've sold the business, we're free, why don't we travel around the world, and you can do all these things while you can still walk, even though it may be difficult to walk, it's easier than in a wheelchair. So for five months we travelled US, Canada, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, five months around the world, in relative luxury, I mean anywhere, a cheap hotel in the Western world is luxury. And then two years after that, I went on this mission team to India for the first time. And we were traveling in dirty, uncomfortable buses, dirty hotels with lots of vermin in the bedroom. Uh, But every day, we went around villages, we preached the gospel, we preached for healings. I saw many, many miracles. I saw God at work every day. And in my mind, during those five weeks and during the weeks after that trip, I just started to compare the five months around the world in luxury Mm -hmm. and the five weeks in India in relative dirty conditions. But I saw God at work every Mm -hmm. day. And I said to myself, this is a 100,000 times better, those five weeks, than those five months around the world. And I said, I made a promise to God. I said, God, I do not want to travel again anywhere unless it has a purpose for your kingdom. And really during that first missionary trip, and just a short-term mission. I, I I became aware that God was calling us as missionaries, that business life was finished for us. So we started to serve our local church as volunteers in building work and anything really, cutting grass, whatever mm-hmm. came up. We started to go to Bible college. Jeanette and I both together, different Bible colleges, one at the church, one official one with an official degree. And we just, in between all that work and... Well, the colleges, we would take every opportunity to do a short-term mission trip. Interns, one would look after the kids. They were still little at the time. One would look after the kids. The other one went on a mission trip. Two, three, sometimes even four times a year.
2: Now, Jeanette, were you as enthusiastic about uh, going on these trips as Rudy was?
3: Oh, yes, I was. I figured out pretty early on uh, after my healing that prayer was going to be a big part of my life. And... So I was always praying about where God could send us. I didn't really have a sense of, oh, God wants us here, um, but I said to God, anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. And so from our church, when there were uh, mission trips going to India, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the preparation, the teamwork as as a team, and just... And the incredible miracles and the physical miracles that we saw in uh, in India, and of course a lot of people coming to know the Lord, which is always uh, the best miracle. Mm, yes. Yeah, and um, yeah, and even though the conditions were less than than favourable, um, we always saw the Lord at work, and and that made my heart sing.
2: So both of you, the Lord was kind of nurturing a desire to serve him overseas in different parts of the world. Yes.
0: Overseas and locally at the time as well. We spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time just serving the local church. So we said, wherever, whenever. Mm -hmm. And then during that time in 1996, I got saved. Jeanette got healed and we got saved in 1993, 1996. So already three years into Bible college and mission trips. There was just this thing about the Soviet Union that just, the Soviet Union had broken up in 1991 and it had fallen into pieces and split into 15 nations growing up in a western european country where the threat of the soviet union was always there i was very well aware of the western propaganda i was Mm -hmm. aware of the soviet propaganda but i started to think about these people and on our trip in 1991 we actually visited eastern europe and i realized that communists were just people with a heart with a Mm -hmm. mind with emotions basically they are a creation of god himself Mm And I realized these people, already in 91, before I was actually, you know, when I was still a Pharisee, I realized these people need hope. Mm. So in 1996, I could not get my mind off Russia at all. And I asked permission of Jeanette to actually do a double mission trip. So go to India for three weeks, then go to Holland for a week, and then go to Russia for three weeks. And in Russia, I had this enormous, incredible experience during the night at 2 o'clock with the Holy Spirit once more. And when I ring Jeanette a couple of days later, I realized she had a similar experience, and then we worked it out at exactly the same time. Wow. God spoke to me, as well as Jeanette in Australia, to me in Russia, and you need to work in Russia. Is that how the Lord was working on your heart, Jeanette?
3: Yes, yes. Um, Like, I had no inclination to to go to the Soviet Union at all. Um, I wasn't particularly thinking about it at all, but uh, on that particular day when Rudy was talking about At that moment, I just knew we're going to Russia. And I actually started to prepare the children already that this is what we're going to do. See, it's one thing when parents are are being called on the mission field. Um, When you go there with children, you you need to make sure that the children also have that same calling. Mm -hmm. You can't just take them out of their environment and then dump them into a foreign environment without preparation. And so we, um, we said to the children, we want you to pray too. We want you to hear from God. We want you to have that, that same calling on mm-hmm. your heart so mm-hmm. that when it gets difficult, you actually know why you're there. And they did. And after about uh, three or four weeks, all of the children said, yes, we need to go.
0: Oh, wow. wow. They were eight, nine, and ten at the time. Yep. They were nine, ten, and eleven by the time we left. So you worked in Russia, the former
2: Soviet Union. For a few years with a ministry. Yep. And basically, what were you doing?
0: So, we were invited by a ministry, a Dutch American mission organization, to become part of their Bible school program. So, we were actively teaching at the Bible school, and then uh, that was a part time Bible school for four days a month. And then during the rest of the time, we would travel from the different churches and minister in the churches. During that time, we started to experiment with uh, LifeKeys programs from Australia. Careforce LifeKeys was a ministry that was developed in our church at the time by Ellen and Helen Meyer. They're great friends, great pastors, and they were leading our church. And I actually did one of those programs myself in 1996. And it brought huge emotional healing, healing of shame and other issues in my life. And I became a different man because of those programs. I believe I became a better father, a better husband, and just a better man to be around Mm -hmm. because of the healing I received in those programs. And we
2: should say that those programs are typically small groups where you're learning something, but you're also sharing with other people on a deep heart level about maybe struggles or shame that you've had in your life. So it's uh, perfect for deep emotional healing Mm -hmm. and, and, and sharing with other people. And it's confidential, I mean, I've I've gone through some of those programs as well, and so that's very powerful. But you felt that that would be perfect content for the former Soviet
0: Union. Why? Well, we very quickly learned that the Soviet Union during the 70 years had become an expert at destroying relationships, Hmm. destroying family life. Setting parents up against children and children up against oh, because you
2: were always supposed to turn each other in that kind of no, thing? exactly yes, yes. exactly there was
0: so much distrust. Yeah. Divorce rate in the Western world is a huge issue. It's about fifty percent in a lot of Western countries. In the former Soviet Union, it is eighty to ninety percent. Oh wow! So ask a man what his father was like, and his answer could start with, "My fourth or fifth stepfather." So now so you know that is instantly a lot Talk of Talk about father forms. issues. He's got several father issues. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of yeah. father issues. Yeah. So we started to experiment with these programs, saw some success, invited Ellen and Helen to come to Russia. Mm. They came to Russia, and translators and other leaders in the church said, we need this in Russia. Will you please help us to just bring these programs basically all across Russia? So that was really It was only one arm of stuff Mm -hmm. that we did, but that really was the beginning of the development of life keys in Russia.
2: And what was their view of God before you introduced life keys into Russia?
0: Many Russians uh, see God, like I saw God, for a very long time as an angry judge. Uh, as, As long as you live your life completely without sin and try really, really hard to keep all the laws of the Old Testament, then maybe God will love you. So all the do's and don'ts. It's all about… The do, it's mm-hmm. about do's and, do's don'ts. and don'ts. Exactly. Okay. And what we try to help to do in Russia is actually to get them to discover that God is a loving Father, mm-hmm. that he loves them regardless of their sin. He doesn't like the sin. That's mm-hmm. a different matter altogether. Right. But he says to the lady who was caught in adultery in the, in the book of John, mm-hmm. he says, Now leave your life of sin, but I will not condemn you. Yeah, And it is that kind of thing that we try to bring across there, and we believe successfully, and we have seen enormous healing.
1: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is once again chatting with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp. As we heard last time, Jeanette was healed from debilitating rheumatoid arthritis, and then, after that miraculous healing they decided to dedicate themselves to serving the Lord in ministry, including in the former Soviet Union. We'll find out more about the impact they're having there when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo chatting with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp, who were originally from Holland and immigrated to Australia in 1982. We've heard about the miraculous healing that occurred in Jeanette's life and how they then decided to dedicate their lives to doing ministry work, first starting off with short-term trips to India and then going on to the former Soviet Union. Next, we'll find out about the impact they're having in that part of the world.
3: In India, we saw a lot of the physical healing. In Russia, we see a lot of relational uh, miracles, families restored, people that have not talked to each other for years, all of a sudden being free to uh, actually begin their relationship again. And, um, we just see so, so much of that happening. And I can think of one lady who came to a life key seminar and we had been doing the groups and She was so broken, so incredibly depressed and broken to the point where the pastors of the church did not know how to bring healing, how to bring restoration to this lady. Mm -hmm. She she came to the seminar and during the week she started to open up in the group and you could literally see the the burdens being lifted off her. She started to uh, have a bit of a sparkle in her eyes and Mm -hmm. things like that. Later, we heard that when she got home and she went back to church for the very first time, um, that she was greeted as a stranger wow. because people could not recognize her. She had physically so changed that uh, yeah, even their bre- her best friends didn't realize it was wow. the same lady.
2: Just by sharing her sharing, burdens and challenges yeah. in her life.
3: Yes, just by sharing and allowing God mm-hmm. to go to those deep wounded places. Yeah, and Him finding that place of healing within her. Yep.
2: So it's touching people's lives. The yeah. Holy Spirit. Yep. Is touching people's lives in a very deep way to bring healing in their relationship with the Lord and. In their relationship with their family members and others.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yes. And when a family gets changed like that, it impacts an entire community. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, we're running out of time, but Rudy, you have a very special story about a sleeping bag that you want to share with us.
0: I have thousands of stories, but you just got to pick one favorite one. And in <laughs> oh, we'll just go with this one. Nineteen ninety-eight. <laughs> I, uh, I was teaching at a Bible school. There was a pastor there from a town about 900 kilometers away, and it was a secret military base. And he shared a little bit about it. And during the night, I had a, a dream that I was preaching in his town. And I shared with him the next day, I said, I'm going to preach in your town. He says, Rudy, you're a foreigner, you don't understand. This was my first time in Russia. Mm-hmm. He says, you will never be able to go there. Russians can't go there. You need a special permission from the government. I said, okay, we'll leave it alone. So a year later, less than a year later, the pastor had changed because of circumstances mm-hmm. locally, but that pastor is now also coming to the Bible school, and I'm teaching there for a, another time, and I have a dream at night, and I'm going to this town. And uh, I shared it with her, and she says, Rudy, you don't understand. You're a foreigner. You will never be able to go to that town. I said, okay, we'll leave it with God. So I'll make a long story short. After 10 months, we got permission from the government to go to this military base, which is impossible to get visited by even a Russian, unless you have specific work purposes there. It is all top secret stuff that's happening there. But 40,000 people live in that town. Mm-hmm. But it is all completely fenced in by barbed wire and you need to go through a, you know, a checkpoint to actually go in there. So we, why would they allow you to go? Uh, nobody can answer that question. Hmm. But we asked for permission to go there and we got it. And, and, and nobody could believe it. People laughed at us when we, when we applied for permission. Hmm. They said, who do you think you are? But because of those two dreams, I said, I'm just gonna try. Mm-hmm. So we tried to get permission. We got permission with our translator, with our car, with our children. And we went there for a whole week, preaching in schools and churches and uh, creative uh, do's. We had all sorts of meetings there, but we also met with two orphanages. Mm-hmm. This was the time in Russia when wages weren't being paid, pensions weren't being paid. It mm-hmm. was absolute poverty. So now we're up whoop-whoop in an area... Where people don't get paid. So orphanages are at the bottom of the feeding chain in that kind of structure. So absolute poverty. And we looked at these children and we said, we need to do something for these children. But how do you do this? Then we had a missionary meeting in Holland. And we get approached by a complete stranger who gives us a ton of brand new humanitarian aid. God had woken him up and said, you need to start collecting clothes for Russian children. But he had no idea who it was for. He had no contacts. So hearing our mission organisations that come and talk to Rudy and Jeanette, they may find a way to get it in there. Well, to do humanitarian aid is very, very difficult. Documents, et cetera, et cetera. In those days, it's different today. So we decided to just try to take a ton of humanitarian aid across the border. And we did. In your truck? In our van. Like okay. We had like a big van. Yep. And we took it across the border. We had way more than it was legally allowed. And we discovered that sometimes God just makes a process possible at the border that is normally not possible. Things are very strict in Russia; it, uh, rules. So they just decided. They decided not, check, not to or? really check what they need, but maybe they didn't even see what we had. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible has these interesting stories where sometimes God just blinded certain mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Later on, we have done this many more times. We have done twenty trips across the border with more than a ton each time, and each time God did a different way. He made it possible to cross the border, mm-hmm. but that's not the story now. So we decided to bring this to this town, and our permit was still long enough to go to this town. And as we put the clothes onto the floor in one of these orphanages, all the clothes are in black plastic bags or grey plastic bags, and one bag was clear plastic. Boy comes running up, sees what is inside, starts crying, runs to his supervisor. Supervisor comes and have a look at it, and she starts crying. Hmm. So I asked, what is the story here? And she said, the boy has been invited to come to school camp. But the school stipulated he must have a sleeping bag. No sleeping bag, no camp. So there was no sleeping bag in the orphanage. There was total poverty in the whole region. And she was a Christian. The supervisor was a Christian. She started to pray together with the little boy, eight years old. He says, we're going to ask God to bring a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. And here comes this crazy foreigner from Holland <laughs> via Australia, yeah, met by another crazy Dutchman in Holland who gives him a ton full of clothes. Yeah, And just in that clear plastic bag happens to be a sleeping bag. Wow. How good is wow. God when he can answer a little prayer of a boy that just wants to go somewhere in the middle of the Taiga in northern Russia he was close to the, to the Arctic Circle, and somewhere there, a little prayer gets answered because of, uh, a, a supervisor says to the child, there is a God. He loves you. He cares for you, and we're going to ask him to bring that sleeping bag. Wow. Every time I think about that story, it's not 20 years ago. I just, just about cry myself because God is so good. And that is really the picture yeah, of yeah. the loving father that we have discovered. Mm-hmm. He loved this boy so much. He, he used two crazy Dutchmans to bring a sleeping bag <laughs> thousands of kilometers across a border that is basically closed into a city that is completely closed. And there you go. And this boy went happily onto a school camp.
2: Wow, that's fantastic. Well, we're quickly running out of time. Jeanette, any closing thoughts on all these experiences that you've gone through?
3: Um, just to the story that, that Rudy just told, Um just to encourage everyone that it doesn't have to be a big thing that you do.
2: Mm-hmm. Someone could just ca- be a sleeping bag.
3: <laughs> could be a sleeping. Maybe you don't have no need of a sleeping bag anymore and see what can happen with it. Mm-hmm. And also to encourage everyone to do pray. Do pray because it works. Mm. And God hears.
2: Well you're
0: living proof. Mm the absolutely. healing that you
2: had unbelievable
3: absolutely yep.
0: yeah Eric, we listened to one of your previous stories uh, about this ukrainian lady that shared how she received uh, a box of goods from mm-hmm. operation christmas child yep, yep. and we're just a tube of toothpaste was such a blessing and, and god is at work in the little things it's not yep. just about yep. big physical miracles mm-hmm. god is at work in the little things and the bible says If you give a glass of water to a child, it is like you give it to me, says Jesus. Mm -hmm. You do it unto me. So when you go into the world, do good things not to make God happy. God is already happy with you. Mm -hmm. But do good things so that the kingdom of God can be shown to the people around you.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rudy and Jeanette Rapp, for sharing these experiences that God has brought you through.
0: It's been an absolute privilege to be here,
1: and life is just great with God.
3: Yes, it's been fantastic to be here.
1: That was the conclusion of Eric Scadabo's two-part conversation with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp. And what an amazing story. It's wonderful how God completely transformed their lives after they thought that Jeanette would end up in a wheelchair. They're now doing marvelous ministry work and having a profound impact on people's lives. Well, if you'd like to contact Rudy and Jeanette and find out more about their ministry, you can reach them through their church. That's Discovery Church on the east side of Melbourne. Their website is discoverychurch.com.au. That's discoverychurch.com.au. Rudy and Jeanette's ministry is part of Discovery Church, and so they'd be happy to answer any questions you have or pass along any messages to them. Well, thanks for joining us for Rudy and Jeanette's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I got introduced to someone and then I was talking to them and then I could see like a pastor bringing someone else over to
2: sub someone else in (laughs) to work on this new guy. And that guy, he invited me to his house that Wednesday night to what I found out later was a life group. And and I went to that life group and I remember it was the Monday after that Sunday and I'm I'm driving into Mary Street nightclub, thinking, what does this mean for my life? Did I really make a decision?
1: Jake Smith is a former nightclub owner whose life was radically changed after putting his faith in Jesus Christ. He'll share the impact this has had on his life and his journey to becoming a pastor. Next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.